Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. The challenge is what that experience looks like in a country like Australia is very different to what that experience looks like in a country like China. Welcome to Marcast, the marketing magazine podcast series. One-on-one discussions with some of Australia's sharpest marketing minds. I'm Ben Ice, editor at Marketing Magazine, and I'm proud to bring you part one of Dave's chat with Sarah Murdoch, Global Marketing Director at Jurlique. This episode is a good one. It gives a fantastic introduction to the Jurlique brand, which Dave and I discovered has very interesting origins that still forms a solid part of its brand story to this day. Dave and Sarah also discuss universal truths of marketing, how the brand juggles its local and global presence, and for fans of the brand out there, Sarah is able to actually share a few insights into what's on the horizon in terms of product and innovation at Jurlique, which is pretty rare. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Marcast. Jurlique is a cosmetics brand born in the unspoilt hills of South Australia in a market dominated by laboratory products in the mid-80s. Jalik was established featuring all natural ingredients. It's a company uniquely connected to nature and a truly global success story. As we continue our conversations with the leading marketers in the country, I'm delighted to be chatting today with Sarah Murdoch, Global Marketing Director, Hand, Body and Wellbeing at Jalik. Sarah, hi. How are you, Dave? It's nice to be here. I was playing board games with my kids over the holidays and I couldn't help but notice that Jalik is a very, very nice Scrabble score. Really? It's, uh, I've never been hurt, told that before. 24 points. <laughs> That's impressive. In fact, I scrolled through a list of companies on the ASX and I could not find a single other business that scores higher than Jalik in Scrabble. Some okay scores I found were Afterpay, which scores 16 points, Macquarie, which scores 22 points, and Webjet, which scores 18 points. So my question, I wonder, if you didn't have the marketing gig at Jalik, which of those alternatives you'd choose to work at instead? Afterpay, Macquarie or Webjet? That is a very good question. Wow. Uh, well, thinking on the fly here, I'm going to go with something very different to Jurlique, and that would be Afterpay. Afterpay. Why would you be interested in working at Afterpay, do you think? Well, I think that uh, what Afterpay have done incredibly well in the last uh, couple, uh, last year is to really break into the Australian market. Uh, they're an Australian brand, uh, which is um, a fantastic success story for um, us down here on the you know bottom part of the world. And they're really thinking about the customer first and that customer experience and uh, what they're enabling customers to do in terms of engage with brands and interact with brands and purchase products, uh, regardless of their financial situation, I think is a really exciting uh, opportunity and challenge that they have, which I think would be fantastic to be a part of. Yeah, it would be interesting. Now, um, there's um, a chance for a triple letter score here. Are there universal truths to marketing? Would you, would you approach a business like Afterpay with broadly the same sort of focus and toolkit that you bring to Jalika or another role or is it 
does your perception of marketing, the world of marketing, is it quite different? Is it quite context specific, do you think? I think it's a balance of both. So for me, what's critical, regardless of whether I'm marketing for Afterpay or Jolique or any other brand or product, is to really understand who I'm talking to. And the fundamental role of marketing is to really communicate to customers. So there are definitely some fundamental truths within the marketing world that are critical uh, for success. How that particular brand or product is actually then communicated to the to the customers can be slightly different depending on the positioning, the the context of the brand, the market, the environment. Uh, but a true understanding of who you're talking to is critical regardless of who you're working for. There you go. I hope the marketing director at um, Afterpay is listening. She's just got some free consulting advice. <laughs> so let's 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 leave Scrabble behind and let's let's focus. Let's talk about Jalique. Great. Tell us a little bit about the company. Okay. Well, uh, Jalique is a Australian brand. It was founded in the mid-1980s by a couple who were actually really quite ahead of their time. They searched the world uh, high and low to find an incredible piece of land to actually start to uh, create a skincare brand like no other in the world and uh, found an incredible piece of pure land in the Adelaide Hills in South Australia. And from there, they started to use their uh, prior experience in uh, pharmaceutical and uh, biodynamic farming to really combine the power of nature with efficacious skincare. So the brand has really uh, gone ahead in leaps and bounds since the mid-80s. And uh, after a number of different sort of periods of growth, uh, we find ourselves in today where we are actually present in a number of markets globally. Australia is our largest market, uh, closely followed by the Asia markets, particularly in Hong Kong and China, as well as uh, presence in the US market and UK and Europe. So it really is now Australia's leading skincare brand in the high-performing natural category and a true success story, which is fantastic yeah. to be a so part I'd, of. Um, and I'm fascinated by um, the start finding a great piece of land. What an unusual way for a cosmetics or skincare company to sort of start finding a piece of land. It's a it's not not what I would imagine if I was starting a skincare company would be the first thing I'd be looking at no. as a piece of a piece of property, no. a beautiful land. It's incredible. Absolutely. And it, it's Absolutely. And it, it's quite a unique part of our story, which we hold very dear to our heart uh, even today. Uh, being a brand that uh, relies very much on nature, it was really important for our founders to actually find that piece of land and to ensure that that piece of land that they would call home or the Jolik Farm was really able to grow the uh, the power, the, the strength of botanicals and, you know, nutrients that would really end up in their skincare. And so uh, our founders were German and uh, unfortunately due to the Industrial Revolution over in particularly parts of Europe and uh, other sort of environmental factors in other parts of the world, they found it took quite a considerable amount of time to actually find this plot of land in the Adelaide Hills. But it's something that we really uh, hold, as I mentioned, dear to our heart. It's an incredible place of purity and uh, 
you really feel like you're in an, in, on another world when you're there. It's just absolutely beautiful. And that land is still part of the, it's the base for the business today. It's still... Absolutely. We've evolved our, uh, that initial plot of land. So we've, uh, you know, a, a, as the business expands, then we have also expanded with the business in terms of our farm. Uh, so we're just down the road from the original spot uh, on a bigger property now. Um, but it really is the central part, as I mentioned, we sort of call it the heart of our business and the central part of where all of the botanicals grow and where the process begins in terms of the development of all of our skincare products. Yeah. And am I right to understand it? So it's the the land, it's an important part of the brand story, but it's also a, it's an, it's an integral part of the product itself of the, of the, of the actual cosmetic, the skincare product and the land are connected. It's not just a marketing story. It's a production it's, element as it's well. It's the center of our production. So our, uh, all of our botanicals are grown there. Uh, they're hand harvested there. They begin their, uh, the creation process of our skincare products there. And then about 10 minutes down the road in Mount Barker, we have our production facility and our warehouse, which is the, the global point of distribution for Jolique. And that's where we combine the botanicals that are grown on the farm with our skincare technology to produce the product that everybody sees on the shelves today. And tell us a little bit about the marketing team at Jolique. So the marketing team at Jolique is probably a little bit uh, different to a number of other marketing teams in the Australian landscape. The reason for that is that Sydney is our global head office. So within the marketing team in Sydney, we have a global marketing team and I'm a member of that team. And then we have a local marketing team for the Australian market in the similar way to what we have in our other regions around the world. So the role of the global marketing team is... Uh, I guess probably about three or fourfold, yep. and our the responsibility that we have as the global marketing team is to really set the brand strategy uh, globally, uh, our positioning, our strategic priorities, and uh, investment um, direction across all the various different element, elements of the marketing mix. We then. Uh, responsible for development of products. So we work very closely with the team on the farm and then our skin scientists and our product development team to develop products that are sold all around the world. And that that process involves conversations and discussions with our formulation team, with our fragrance team, with our packaging team. So it's really a true end-to-end new product development uh, team. We then have uh, hold responsibility for developing the global marketing and comms that then support the launch of those new products or support the brand. So that could be across brand content, PR, social media, our visual identity, our copywriting, any type of comms that really reflects the brand positioning and that customers see in the store is all developed from the global brand team. And then finally, Within, the, within our responsibility, we're also really key st- stakeholders. So we have a lot of uh, meetings with not only our internal teams and cross-functional teams to develop the products or to create these campaigns or brand identity, but we also spend a lot of time speaking to the marketers in the regions about what their priorities are, what their initiatives are, and I guess negotiate and align with them on how we're going to build the brand in all of those different markets. I'm interested in this global, local 
concept, the structure, obviously it's an important part of your structure that you have a global team and then you have these in-market teams. So functionally it's important and then it's it's designed for, by that for a reason, I assume, so that there is some consistency from the global level, but then you've got, you're closer to the customers and the unique geographic markets with these in-market teams. On paper, that's very nice, but in practice, I guess that means there's some some movement and a need to be agile and flexible and both in terms of the size of the team, which might change at times and the needs of resources in those teams. And then working together, there needs to be some, you know, you've got to find some consensus that those two teams are coming at things from slightly different perspectives. Absolutely. It's, you couldn't have said it better. <laughs> the, the, the global local model is something that is experienced by many marketers in the industry. It's a constant challenge and uh, one that is absolutely fluid and evolving as priorities of the business change, as uh, strategies change, as um, there are many different influences that really impact the way that that model works. Uh, I guess the one thing that ensures that the value of that position is set up is that there's definitely a need for a global brand to remain consistent in all of its markets to ensure a consistent consumer experience across all the different touch points. The challenge is what that experience looks like in a country like Australia is very different to what that experience looks like in a country like China. And that's a constant challenge that we have to balance and to work with the local marketing teams on finding where the points of similarity are and not only what those points of similarity are, but how we can actually leverage them across all of our markets, but then also allow the local markets a level of freedom and creativity and entrepreneurialism to take the brand framework and ensure that they're able to make the brand relevant for their consumers. So there's this constant balance and ebb and flow of uh, how to approach that. And I'd have to say that at Jolique, we haven't quite got it right just yet, but it's something that we're really working on and involved in very much so as we continue to build the brand on the global scale. I imagine it would be it, it would be almost impossible to, to get it exactly right, as you say, because it's shifting and it's and it's and that's so subtle. Absolutely, the market's shifting. Our consumers are changing behaviours. There are new entrants in the market that change the way that uh, marketing in the skincare and beauty category uh, evolves. There are all sorts of different external environmental factors that constantly challenge us, which is all part of marketing. What our objective is is to maintain that level of brand consistency so that somebody who experiences Jerlique in one country will experience, recognise and experience Jerlique in another country. But those sort of details of that cultural sort of new uh, newism will be quite different. And it becomes important that you've got support from the senior levels of the organisation if you're with, with these challenges as well, I imagine. Tell me about the relationship between marketing and the senior leadership team. Where, to whom do you report? Where does that sit? What's the kind of relationship between the, the sales and marketing organisation? So I report to the CEO and the global brand team uh, all, re all report. There are a number of leaders within the team and they all report up into the chief executive officer. Uh, our relationship with the markets is very much uh, very collaborative. Uh, we often have 
interesting and challenging conversations with them. But the the nice thing about working at Jolique is that culturally everybody's there because they believe in the brand and they we have a real emotional connection to the brand, the story and the way in which the brand is communicated to customers regardless of where they are in the world is critical. So when we're working with the the sales and marketing teams in each of the local market markets, we very we try to listen very much and take on as much as we can in terms of their feedback and try to understand what their needs and challenges are and the behaviours of the customer and then tailor our global comms and products development strategy, et cetera, to that wherever possible. So there's this constant challenge between meeting as many needs of all the markets as possible and delivering a product and a campaign that is relevant to as many people as possible in different markets, which is always keeps the job interesting. One question, final question on that that I like to ask is marketing a department at Jurlique or is it a mindset within the company? Do you feel that you have to fight to be the voice of marketing and market investment, marketing thinking within Jolique or is it a is it a marketing culture of which you represent the sort of the functional part of that? Marketing at Jolique would definitely be part of the culture. Being a player in a premium space requires strength in marketing much more than perhaps some of the other more commercial brands and products out there in the market. And the value that marketing adds to communicating what those unique propositions are of our brand and our products to the consumers is absolutely valued by the business, which is fantastic, which is which is a great position to be in because as a marketer, that's truly, you know, you want a seat at the table and you want to ensure that marketing is definitely a valued part of the commercial business. In which, and at Jolique, it definitely is, absolutely. You're about two years into your role at Jolique, I believe. Is that's that, right. That's right. When you started in this role, was it a? Did you inherit the right bones, and 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 your journey, your, your role was largely one of continuation, or was did you come in at a time in the organisation where you really needed to pivot strategically and and head in a new direction? I came in at a time where the brand was very much in a position where it was starting to pivot in a new direction. So uh, my predecessor came in probably about a year before me and the remit of uh, the global brand team at that time was to really reposition the brand in much more of a premium skincare space to attract new consumers to the brand and to really elevate the positioning that Jolique holds within the skincare category globally. So I came in uh, after some of that work had started uh, but my role over the past two years has been to work with the the leaders of the business to refine that strategy and then we're now executing that strategy across all the various different marketing touch points through the line. So uh, I sort of missed the first six months but have really been on the team since then and are really now starting to see the execution of all of that strategy play out in market. Which I imagine is rewarding, right? Th- to be at both ends of that, the the conceptual stage and the early stages of shaping it, and then through to the 
through to the delivery. Absolutely. And there are elements of the plan that we set out to achieve two years ago which have evolved and there are elements that have worked very well. And so it's also really rewarding to be a part of refining and developing and constantly learning uh, about what worked and what didn't and to be able to pivot quite quickly to to uh, react and uh, refine our uh, positioning and our strategy moving forward. And what next? What are some of the, you know, the, it's the start of 2019. What are some of the big sort of ticket strategic considerations for you for the next six months? We have three key considerations that are currently top of my mind uh, for marketing at Jolique. The first is we really want to consolidate and strengthen our positioning as a leader in the natural skincare space. There are constantly new entrants into that market and we also see some of the synthetic brands really starting to play into that space as well as consumers are demanding more from brands in in their ingredients. So for me, consolidating and strengthening our positioning is definitely the first. The second is innovation. So when a lot of brands talk about innovation, they talk about product innovation or packaging innovation, which is definitely part of our innovation focus. But we also have an incredible farm that we've talked about and the way that we actually farm our botanicals in our biodynamic farm is very unique and we follow various different processes and you know innovation across not just our product and packaging but also our skincare and development and creation story is actually also really critical to us as well because we do have this incredible farm that not many of our competitors do it's a, a point of difference for us and we really it's it's the central point of where everything begins for us so innovation on the farm is also critical and then for us uh, i guess stemming off the farm is sustainability for Jolique has been a core part of the brand for as long as we've been around. And we really want to continue to tell our story about sustainability and ensure that our customers and consumers are very aware of what we've stood for since we started in the 80s, because there have been years where we haven't really talked about that. And there have also been competitors that are entering the market now who want to be talking about sustainability or who are launching sustainable products but haven't necessarily been sustainable in the past. And for us, really talking about that and bringing that more to the forefront of our brand is definitely on the agenda for the year ahead, as well as continuing to build our presence in the markets that we operate in across the world and ensuring that we're attracting attracting more customers to the brand. There's so many interesting things in in what what you just said. I'd love to unpack. A, we'll try and unpack a few of those. I, I hope I can remember them all. Great. Unquestionably, at a point in time, you were in the early '80s and beyond. You're a business that was ahead of its time in a way, mm. doing things that a lot of other brands weren't. Now, some of those, many of those things that are within the DNA of the Jolique brand and the Jolique business. Uh, more topical. They're, they're hot trends and everyone's Absolutely. talking about them. And so naturally a whole lot of competitors are wanting to get on board and tell similar stories. And in the marketplace as a consumer, maybe that creates noise. Is that a challenge for you to to be able to differentiate yourselves from, you know, as a business that for 35 years has been built around these values and these attributes versus someone who's all of a sudden decided it's a nice marketing campaign because it's topical and so we're, we're switching that on now. Is that, a, is that a challenge? I would say the uh, 
it, it's yes, it's a challenge that we have more competitors, obviously. Uh, I think what's really exciting is that uh, brands both within our category and outside of our category are starting to be challenged on what they're doing to ensure that they give back and ensure that they're operating in a sustainable way. I think that's really important and that's really exciting that consumers are demanding that of brands today. I think that um, being a brand that represents purity uh, and uh, not compromising on the results of our skincare has always been a core part of our brand. So in many ways, what we need to do is just continue to communicate that in a way that is relevant to Jolique in an authentic way. The brand is an extremely authentic brand and we don't have anything to hide. We're very proud of our origins at the farm. We're very proud of our exclusive creation process. We're very proud of how uncompromising we are, whether it's uh, our biodynamic farming techniques or whether it's our no waste policy at our production plant. So there are a lot of incredible stories that we have to tell that we haven't done a lot of in the past. So for me, I'm really excited to be able to share those stories and enable our customers to really connect more with Jolique and know that we, as you said, we've been pioneers in this space since we began. And that's really an exciting opportunity that we have ahead. So I think, I think there's an element there that actually this, this additional competition and your competition focusing on naturalness is, is as much an opportunity for you as it is a threat. Because, because it is so embedded in your DNA. You welcome the conversation, the consumer conversation, wanting to talk about these things because you are so well-placed and so strong in these areas that competitors bringing attention to it, in fact, can, can help you, work to you, as long as you tell, effectively tell the story. Absolutely. It's only going to strengthen our brand. We're so authentic about this that it, we've got – the easiest way to say it is that we've got nothing to hide. It's a really exciting position to be in. Yeah. So. And not only is it about what goes into the product and what ends up on someone's skin, but there are many different parts of being a brand that where sustainability is key that is critical to us. So we do things on the farm like uh, actually in all around the world like Global Tree Planting Day where we ensure that we actually, you know, plant trees and give back to um, our environment. We, uh, our, our team down at the farm ensure that they follow biodynamic farming practices, which is the most authentic and sustainable way that you could pretend, you could farm anything. So biodynamic farming and the processes that we follow down there is also critical to ensure that the environment that we actually farm our botanicals in is pure and sustainable. And then the way that we produce our skincare products is also very much a focus so that we have, for example, we have a no waste policy at our production plant. We have solar panels on our farm. We, there is, there are, I could sit here and talk to you forever just about sustainability. Yeah. And what I'm really proud to talk about and to, um, to share with everybody is that this is a very exciting part of the brand that we are really wanting to share more of with the world because it is, it is part of our brand DNA. Superficially, it might be easy for a competitor to put an, an ad, advertising cam campaign, a marketing communications campaign out that talks about some of these things, but um, there's a lot beneath the surface to actually deliver that. And they're things that you've got in place already, not so easy to copy. No, exactly. There are little things as well, like 
the traceability of natural products. So because we have this farm, we actually grow the botanicals that go into the product and that end-to-end process and that traceability and that origin of the ingredient that goes into the product is also something that we do and we can share. Uh, a lot of competitors you know, may buy their products from third parties, so may not necessarily uh, have full disclosure of the source of that product or that ingredient. Uh, it, it, it's again, it, they're all elements of this uniqueness of Jolique, which is an incredible story that we have to share with everybody. And it's it's been the way that we uh, produce our products from the very start. Competitively, you're a premium product. You're not the world's largest cosmetics business. You've got some very big competitors with very big budgets. How do you, you've got a very strong story. How do you get that story out competitively? How do you, how do you have share of voice and share of mind when you've got such large competitors with such significant marketing media spend behind them? I guess the answer to that question definitely comes down to being very targeted at who we're trying to communicate to. So we are very clear across the business that we are targeting a consumer who is open to purchasing natural products. So that automatically excludes quite a number of consumers because there are many consumers out there who are more open to buying synthetic products and some are also very open to cosmetic procedures and the likes. So for us, we're very clear on identifying who we're talking to, which is a smaller space than the traditional I guess, or the total skincare market globally. And then in terms of uh, driving share of voice, because we have all of these incredible stories to tell about the brand, we are able to use partners and influencers, you may call them, or KOLs uh, to help us. Uh, which is very much a core uh, part of our PR and social media strategy to enable us to talk to people who resonate with Jolique because of all the reasons we've talked about, but also allow us to actually compete in a market that, as you say, is very competitive and we're not a enormous synthetic brand that has been around for, you know, decades and decades. You know, we're still fairly young and we're still very much developing our our story as we go. And developing that story through customer insight and customer proxi- proximity. Tell me, um, we chatted recently with um, Ben Hill at Bega Foods, which as an aside, I think cheese is quite a different product, but mm. there's some similarities in <laughs> terms of the natural and the land aspects to those stories. But my question is, uh, Ben talked a, a lot about um, the work they're doing on customer insight and product planning, it felt very scientific and research-driven. Is that a similar a similar approach that Jolique take or is it more an instinctive one? Do you tell us a little bit about your customer insight activity and how you go about imagining and delivering new product? So good question. I guess I would have to say that there we do a bit of both at Jolique. Uh, the value of uh, customer insights and the customer experience is absolutely critical to the success of the marketing team. So marketing research and insights is absolutely embedded, embedded into the capabilities of every member of the marketing team. We use a range of different customer insights according to the various different elements of our role. So that may be 
uh, trend forecasting from third party party partners to help us see into the crystal ball of the future to understand what we need to be planting on the farm now that will go into a product in three, four, five years time. So trend forecasting is definitely part of our insights that uh, help us. And so that's the kind of lead time in terms of a planting three to five years. So you're looking at like, it's a fair way out, right? These are not decisions you can just make overnight at the No, unfortunately, we definitely wouldn't classify ourselves as FMCG because we have to grow the the rose or the the violet on the farm, which will often take anywhere from two to three or four years until we can actually harvest enough to go into the product. So our our product life cycle uh, is and development process is much longer than you'd expect. Absolutely. So trend forecasting for that is absolutely critical to uh, driving our strategy and our MPD pipeline. We then uh, also use customer segmentation and personas and we're actually in the process of uh, redoing that work in our core markets. Uh, We did the work a couple of years ago and feel that the customer has definitely evolved since then as well as behaviours and, again, you know, new competition in the market we feel has changed behaviours slightly in skincare. So we're currently doing that work again to really help us understand our customers' needs and behaviours. And then from a product development point of view, we do research to ensure that the claims that we make on our products are not only true, but also relevant to customers. So claims testing is very critical, particularly in skincare, to ensure that what we're communicating and the benefits of the product to the consumer are not just relevant, but actually uh, engaging to the customer. We do consumer perception trials on campaigns. So developing global campaigns, we need to make sure that the perception of the campaign is where we set out to achieve. So we do a lot of consumer perception testing. We use our CRM data to, uh, you know, really analyse purchasing behaviour and to ensure that we put strategies in place that are either acquisition or retention, depending on what we're trying to achieve. We do annual brand health. And uh, we also then have a constant sort of 360 feedback loop with our sales and marketing teams in the markets to ensure that we're really focusing on a number of different key insights from all areas of the business and uh, the market to enable us to really sort of, I guess, point us in the right direction. So some of it is, or a lot of it really is very insights led, but there's a lot of it as a leader in this space that actually is intuition as well. And you know, if you go back to our founders, they were very intuitive and, like you said, very ahead of their time in the 80s to look for a biodynamic farm and start to actually produce this natural skincare brand that has become so popular all around the world. And that really took intuition and foresight to really um, to do that and that's something that we definitely bring into our planning and our strategy as well to ensure that we're not just following and using insight but we're actually leading. Clearly there's a huge amount of data huge amount of science to it, perhaps more than ever. But what I'm hearing is that doesn't replace the the intuition, the, 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 the art of this craft, the ability to interpret that data and understand where it's taking you. The data gets you so far. Mm, absolutely. Not all the way. Mm, absolutely. The, the data can be used to either, uh, in some cases, point us in the right, right direction or in some cases validate an intuition or a, you know, a, a inkling that we have about something, but it definitely won't give us all the answers. That's the role of marketing. (laughs) 
I imagine there's a few people listening that are big fans of the brand and they're just sitting there dying to know what's next. Can you, I realise there's some commercial inconfidence, but can you give us a sneak peek into what maybe might be next for the product and the range? Sure, so long as they keep it secret. (laughs) So uh, we are very lucky to have an amazing team of skin scientists and formulators based in the Adelaide Hills, as well as our farm team who are always looking for new uh, botanicals to grow at the farm. And the combination of those teams together allows us to really work um, on some really exciting projects uh, across our brand. So without giving too much away, I can definitely share that we have some new innovation coming in skincare technology, which is very exciting, particularly for a natural brand. Uh, We have some innovation coming in terms of ingredients and um, a really beautiful ingredient coming up later this year, which will be really exciting for the brand and a first of anyone in our category at all. Uh, And obviously we also have uh, packaging that's rolling out at the moment. So our first, uh, I guess, um, foray into that packaging uh, relook happened at the end of last year with our relaunch of the new Herbal Recovery Signature range, which uh, was a total renovation of um, technology, formulation, ingredients and uh, packaging. And so there's more of that to come. Watch this space. I always do one thing before we wrap up which is I like to get out my crystal ball. You mentioned a crystal ball earlier. You must have known I had it with me. (laughs) I Um, brought mine too. (laughs) There you go. So um, just rub your hands over it and you say the magic words and we're going to play this back in five years. So see how accurate you are. What does Jolique look like five years from now? In five years, Jolique will undoubtedly be the leader in the natural skincare space. They will have really cemented their position as a leader in that market and be providing incredible experiences to consumers from a sensorial experience, from a customer experience and an omni-channel experience. What does our crystal ball tell us about marketing in five years from now? We've talked a little bit about AI and data. Is, are there other things in, in, the, in, in the future for marketing? Is it, is it going to look largely familiar or is it going to look very different? I think the principles will remain the same and they always have and I'm sure that they always will. But the tools that will enable us to be more effective and more agile and more personalised will change dramatically and that's really exciting. And what about Sarah Murdoch five years from now? Good question. Marketing for me is uh, I'm, I'm a career marketer and so I hope to be leading a really exciting marketing team and really challenging what's possible um, from ourselves and from the brand and uh, really leading uh, marketing into the future. Thanks to Sarah Murdoch for giving up her time to appear on MarkCast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast. Part two's coming soon. MarkCast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, download the Hayes Report, DNA of a Marketing Director, at hayes.com.au.